Good to see you all, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed this morning. Man, we had an incredible time in the Lord's presence last night. We have a lot to cover this morning. I just have a lot of my heart I want to share with you. Um, again, thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to be here with you tonight. I know it probably wasn't a Democratic vote, but here I am nonetheless, and you haven't thrown any tomatoes at me or anything like that. In Jesus School, we've been studying, we just studied the First Great Awakening, and uh, the things that George Whitfield and the Wesleys endured during that time, people actually throwing produce and things at them, screaming at them, doing horrendous things, and they just kept on going. It's pretty amazing. Actually, you know, before I get started, this last fall, my brother Drew and I, um, well, the previous years, the Lord has really put on our hearts as a, as a body in Ames to draw a line in the sand about what we are about as a people. And we are about his presence and an authentic, uh, authentic um, move of his presence, not something contrived by people. You know, you can set up atmospheres and build atmospheres. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in, in the tangible presence of the Lord. Um, so we, we, we really care about the authentic thing and being authentic in community, covenant community, family. When we say the word family, we really mean it. Another one of those things is discipleship. We draw a line in the sand and say we are going to be about discipling um, people, raising people up. And uh, what we have found is there's a lot of believers um, in our world today that really have lack any sort of foundation. Um, there's not a lot of Bible literacy anymore. A lot of you know, young people today haven't grown up in Christian homes. And um, so we go out into the world and the church has been more caught up in teaching all the how-tos and the ministry tools and really honoring and illuminating gifts in people. And so then people go out into the trenches of life and ministry and get beat up pretty bad and they're, because there's no foundation. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter how nice of a house you have. If the foundation is garbage, it's not going to be a great house. It's not going to last. And so we see a lot of flash in the pan believers. We uh, have a lot of uh, preachers, but not anybody with much depth. And so the, the Lord really put on our hearts, what if we just created a place for people to come and we're not about teaching them ministry giftings and tools. It's not even about that. But instead, it's just, how do we fall in love with Jesus? What if it was just to come and sit at his feet until our hearts burn for Jesus? And so out of that was a birth, Jesus School. And we had all different iterations of the name. And we're like, you know what? This whole thing's about Jesus. Let's just call it Jesus School. Some have thought that is a little pretentious. But um, all other schools are garbage because this is Jesus School. <laughs> That's not, that was not the intention. We just thought, you know what? Let's, naming things is always the worst. So let's just call it Jesus School. And so this, last, this, this year is our pilot year. And the Lord has really exceeded our expectations. He sent us these precious students, and um, God is just setting their heart ablaze for the Lord, teaching them how to worship, how to pray. Um, you can go anywhere in the world and do any difficult thing, 
and stand up to anything the enemy will throw at you if you know how to worship and you know how to pray. Because it's there that you find the strength. It's there that the, the call is reaffirmed. Your identity is reaffirmed over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at you. Um, and so what it would happen if we raised up believers, um, not to just learn all the how-tos, but to be on fire, first love fire believers giving the devil a bad day every day. Amen? That's how we raise our kids. I don't want my kids to be in love with church. The church will fail you. The church will disappoint you. I want them to love Jesus. And if they love Jesus, they will also love the church. You actually, I, if anyone who tells me I love Jesus, but I don't like his church, I question their love for the Lord. That would like say, coming up to me and say, Tony, man, I love you so much. I would die for you. I really don't like your wife. <laughs> I mean, I might be able to have some sort of relationship with you, but it would be very difficult. There would be a ceiling on it. Because you can't, how can you love me and not love my wife? She is, we are one. <laughs> so how can you say to somebody, I love your head. I don't like the rest of you though. <laughs> so we're raising people up to love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you're going to be, you're going to care about the things that he cares about. You're going to be about his business. Um, and so, if that's something that's even as I'm speaking about that you want more information, please come talk to me about Jesus School. Um, we spend a lot of time in the Lord's presence. We spend a lot of time in his word. Um, we have speakers come in from all over the nation to teach us and, uh, and just, yeah, just love Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd anoint this word this morning as we dive deep into your word. I pray the truth of who Jesus is who Jesus you are, what you said, what you told us to expect would become so clear that the power of the Holy Spirit would just envelop us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to kind of be cruising today. I didn't realize what time it was, so you're going to have to think fast, write fast, turn fast in your Bible. We're going to be all over... Our Bible, we're going to get to know our Bible this morning. I really just want to start off this morning by talking about Jesus. Is that all right? I'm going to anyway, so whether you're not and you're in agreement. I'm going to share, I'm going to share this morning more teaching, and then this afternoon I want to share a message that hopefully will... Um, stir hunger in your heart. I have a lot of testimonies of what the Lord's doing among us right now. And hopefully we'll stir your hunger for more, your heart for more. Um, we need to, to have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It will really dictate and govern the way that you live your life. If you believe God is indifferent about you, your life will reflect it. If you believe God is some tyrant up in the sky waiting for you to screw up so he can crush you, your life will reflect it. If you believe God is like this big, big loving Santa Claus in the sky who's just there to do your bidding, your life will reflect it. So we need a clear understanding of who the Father is and how we do that is by looking at Jesus. 
And Hebrews 1 is one of those scriptures that helps us to do that. In Hebrews 1, verse 1, it says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So he's referring back to the Old Covenant. When we read the Old Testament, how God dealt with his people, how he conveyed um, himself to his people, and how he spoke to them. So in the Old Testament, many of you know this, God would come upon a person, whether it be a prophet, a priest, a judge, a king, and the Lord would speak through that, that person or they would do something great. And they would speak on the Lord's behalf and everybody was kind of left at the mercy of this man or woman of God. What is the Lord speaking? And so with that, we got a, a, a kind of picture of who God was, but it wasn't a complete picture. And so the Holy Spirit wasn't able to live in anyone in those days because sin had not been paid for. And so what would happen is on the Day of Atonement every year, Aaron or um, some in his family line as, it, as the years passed, as they would go into the tabernacle or the temple, whatever era it was, and they would, the high priest would offer a sacrifice for his own sins because he was not perfect. To cleanse him of his own sins, but it wasn't cleansing sins indefinitely. It was just putting off consequences for sin for one whole year until the next day of atonement. And then he would sacrifice, make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he would do that, he would do two sacrifices. One was for, to satisfy the justice of God. And I wish I could talk a lot more about that this morning because there's a lot of misunderstanding. But if you want to hear more about that, come to Jesus School. <laughs> to satisfy the justice of God. God is perfectly just. I think that's one of the greatest indictments against the Lord is that he's unfair. He's not just. No, he is perfectly just. The fact that he sent his son, is the, the most precious thing to heaven is Jesus, and to send Jesus to a world that didn't want him, would not receive him, and would ultimately kill him, to satisfy the justice, the consequences of sin. So listen, you and I, we've not been acquitted of sin. We've not been found not guilty. No, we are absolutely guilty. Every single one of us is found guilty. And it's not God who condemns us. It's our own sin that condemns us. It's like you're in court and you're there and you are accused of, being ro of robbing a bank and you're holding the bag with the, of, of money with the bank's name on it and you've got the gun in your hand still and you still got the mask on. <laughs> it's like you don't need a jury to say this guy's guilty. He's guilty. Your own sin condemns you. But this gospel is not that we're found not guilty. It's no, we're guilty, but Jesus took our place. He said, I'll pay the consequences of their sin. And what is, the Bible says, is the wages of sin are what? Death. Death is the natural consequence of sin. It is not something that Jesus or God desired. And so because he is so perfectly justice, he's not, or just, he's not like, you know what, I'm going to change all the rules. We'll just forget about it. Because then he would be imperfect, wouldn't he? And that's not justice. If someone was uh, accused of murdering someone, 
and they were found guilty of murder, and the judge said, you know what, I can tell you're really sorry. You're never going to do it again. Why don't you just go on your way? We'll just forget about it this time. That's not justice, is it? There's consequences. So justice is met in the person of Jesus. So the first goat is sacrificed in the Old Covenant for, to, to satisfy the, the justice of God. And then there's a second goat where Aaron would lay his hands on this goat and it would be like transferring the sins of people onto that goat. And then they would let that goat go outside the city. That's where the, the term scapegoat comes from. And that goat was just left to wander. And that represents the defilement that sin brings upon people. Again, the wages of sin are death. So the natural consequences of our sin, the defilement that sin brings. And so Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice. He is the high priest and he's also the sacrifice. He is the temple. He's the showbread. He is the color on the robes of the priest. He is, Jesus is all in, all in, all. And so he's the high priest, and he didn't need to sacrifice anything because he was already perfect. He overcame every temptation that mankind ever could face or would face. And then he was sacrificed for, to satisfy the justice of God, and also to purify us from the defilement that sin brings. Amen? So that now the Holy Spirit could live in us. So does that make sense? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could only come upon somebody for a time and then lift, but it couldn't live inside of us because of sin. All right, we're only in verse 1, so we better get going here. So in verse 2, it says, But in these last days, so anytime post-Jesus' resurrection is last days, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, That word spoken is like to speak with a finality. It's been spoken once and for all. He has spoken to us by his son. So in the past, God spoke through prophets, through judges, through priests, through men and women of God. And now he has spoken. He's the final word. He's spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Being an heir was extremely important in Jewish culture. And and if you were the oldest son, it didn't matter if there was 10 girls in front of you, you were the oldest son, you were held in the highest esteem because you were the heir. And if there was multiple sons, like in the story of the prodigal son, the the oldest son would get two-thirds of the inheritance, the younger son would get one-third. But here it's saying, no, Jesus is the heir of all things. He's been given it all, not just a portion He's been given all authority under heaven and earth. He is the heir of all things. We see that also in Colossians 1. And through him, he also made the universe. So one, he's the heir of all things, speaking to his authority and his sonship and God's pleasure on him. But also, he is the one who made the universe. So what does John 1 say? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God. And by him all things were made, and through him nothing was made. So it's speaking to his divinity. He's not just a, he's not, and this is what the whole chapter is talking about, is really there was this confusion about 
Jesus was just kind of like a higher level angel. No, 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 no. Make no mistake. He was not. He's not a, he wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't a higher level angel. He is God. What did Paul say? He didn't call, uh, count being um, equal with God as something to uh, behold, but as rather he came to serve. So he also made the universe. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Other translations say he's exact imprint. So he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So if we want to know what God the Father is like, we can look to Jesus because Jesus, it says here, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. How do we know the sun is hot? We can feel its heat. We can see its light. So Jesus is like the, 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 the sun ray, the, the rays of sun. He's like the heat coming from the sun. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is like God's, he's the full expression of who God is. Continuing on, he says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So he's also the one that's holding it all together. Jesus is all in all in all. And we hear the word appointed. It doesn't mean that Jesus was created at some point. Rather, it means when creation began, God the Father decided when creation began, Jesus, you have all authority over this. After he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Or what the Bible tells us, he's interceding for us now. Do you ever wonder what Jesus is praying for you? He's interceding right now for you. Do you ever wonder? Well, there's someone who does know. He's the Holy Spirit, which is why we need to look to the Holy Spirit on how to pray so we can pray in alignment with the Lord, saying, but he provided purifications for our sin. In verse 4, so he became as much superior to the angels as his name as he inherited is much superior to theirs. Again, it's not saying that he was at one point lower, and now he is, no, he's, he's talking about the preeminence, the supremacy of Jesus. That his name, the name, again, in, that, in, in, culture, in Jewish culture, then your name was extremely important. When we talk about the name of Jesus, we're not just talking about, we're not just shouting his name because he forgot his name, or he's confused about who he is. Right? He's not confused. It's usually us who's confused about who he is. But his name represents more than just what we call him. His name represents everything that he is. So in that culture, if you came in the name of somebody you worked for, it represented their authority. It represented their everything they owned. It represented their nature and their character. It represented honor. So when we invoke the name of Jesus, we're invoking everything that he is. That's why when we pray in the name of Jesus, the enemy is very frightened. Right? I said last night, the devil is not afraid of the strength of man. But he's very afraid of the strength of Jesus. So that's why when we come in the name of Jesus, he knows exactly what it means. 
In Colossians 1, if you turn a few pages to the left, in Colossians 1, Paul reiterates the same thing. In verse 15 of chapter 1, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. So a lot of times we think of God as this old man with a big long beard sitting in heaven on the throne, right? For what we can tell in Scripture, God doesn't have like a physical body. It says no one's seen God. That's why we, we look to Jesus. So he says the Son is the image. He's like God with flesh on. And he is the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn means that he leads the way in all things. So we look to Jesus' example how to live. No Christian is exempt from passing through the cross. We actually live a cross-centered life. And everything that we are and everything we do should pass through the cross. And what's not of the Lord will die and remain in the ground. And what's of the Lord will be resurrected in its purified form. And then God can actually use it. In verse 16, For in him all things were made, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. This is good news. He says, in him all things were created. That means you were God's idea. I know your parents got together at some point, but you were God's idea. You were conceived in the mind and heart of God before any human. And so your origin story does not matter. God said you should be here. So you were in him. You were created before you even took your first breath. Before you were even conceived, you were conceived in the heart of, in the mind of God. And then it says how? It says then through him. So then God said, yes, go. Just in the same way in creation, we see the word spoke and it happened. And then he tells us why we were created for him. So in him, through him and for him. You were made for Jesus. So when we live outside of that, we are living outside of the purposes that God has put in us. In verse 17, it says that he is before all things. And in, a thing, in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. He led the way. He was the first to go into the ground and conquer death. And now we follow him likewise into eternity. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Does it say that God was pleased to have some of the fullness of who he was dwell in Jesus? No. It says he was pleased to have all of the fullness. Fullness means, in the Greek, fullness. It means, like, as much as is possible, it is full to the brim. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once we were alienated from God and we were enemies in our minds because of the evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. Amen. 
We could talk about that the rest of the time, but we have got to keep moving here. So let's turn to the Gospel of John. So Jesus is God, amen? That needs, that's important. Um, there's a lot of things in our day and age. Jesus was just a good teacher. He was a miracle worker. Um, he was a prophet. He was a uh, philosopher. No, Jesus, he was all those things, but he was more, so much more. And Jesus was God. Jesus is God. So again, let's just look at John chapter 1 real quick. We're kind of reiterating the same things that we've... Actually, everybody right now, if you've got a phone, why don't you pull it out? Make sure you've got it on silent. Can everybody do that? Nobody's doing it. Can you do it? Can you pull out your phones and just make sure? John chapter 1 echoes Genesis 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and throughout Him nothing was made that has been made. That's important. Without Jesus, anything, everything that we see could not have happened, did, would not, did not happen. But in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That word overcome actually means to like understand it. The darkness does not understand the light. The enemy does not understand God's love for people. When the enemy only sees the worst in us, he cannot understand why God would love such pathetic beings. When God sees the infinite potential in each one of us, he sees his created purpose, and he's never lost sight of who he made you to be. And so the darkness does not understand. If you want to understand that, C.S. Lewis has this book called The Screwtape Letters, and it's a great insight into this concept of how the enemy works and what he thinks. In that book, he says, there's nothing more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than a believer who is, has everything in his life screaming at him that this is all ridiculous, this is all stupid, you should turn away from the Lord. It's all falling apart. This is my paraphrase. There's nothing more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than someone who's experiencing all that and still serves Jesus. There's nothing the enemy can do with a person like that. Which again is why we need our foundation strong. We need to return to the first things. Worship and prayer, devotion to the Lord. Where he is our greatest ambition. In verse 9 it says that the true light gives light to everyone. Was coming into the world. He was in the world and, and though the world may, was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Just imagine the humility in which the Lord walked in. Man, sometimes in my house, my kids, you know, you raise kids and they, you're, they're just born ungrateful. You have to teach people to be grateful. And you, sometimes I'm like, listen, if you knew all the things that your mother did for you around this house, if you knew how hard we worked, for you, we worked to put this meal in front of you, 
you'd show a little more gratitude. Can you imagine Jesus coming into this world, this beautiful world that he created, and then now watching people just destroy one another and, and, this, and defile the world like we read last night, and still come with a heart of love? When there's something you want to rise up within you and just be like, you guys are messing this whole thing up. Thank God he didn't do that. Verse 11, it says that he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Receiving him is an important concept as a believer. To receive the Lord. How is it that you could have one per- two people sitting next to each other in a worship service, and one person is experiencing the Lord like no one else, and, and the other person sitting there, arms crossed, like this, when are we going to get through this? What's the difference? Well, the Lord is, hasn't changed. It's the heart. One is open to receive. This is the difference in John 12 between Mary, who is pouring out her oil on the feet of the Lord, and Judas, who says, what, do we, what, what a waste. What a waste. It's a heart to receive the Lord. Keeping your heart tender before the Lord is one of the most important things that you will do in your life. Lord, let my heart never be calloused. Uh, Keith Green, old singer, songwriter, died too early. He said, I, I, pray that, I, I prayed often that the Lord would just give me baby skin on my heart. <laughs> baby skin, so sensitive to, to the, even the gentlest of touches of the Lord. So receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Let's jump down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the father has made known to us. So if Jesus is a revelation of who God the Father is, then we should pay close attention to the way that he lived. Did Jesus ever turn a person down for healing? Any person in these Gospels that we see come to him. Some would say, Jesus, not are you able, but are you willing? It was always a matter of are you willing? And what did he say every time? Yes, I'm willing. Never did Jesus turn anyone down for healing, so we can know that it's His will to heal. We can see what He, what He values. What are the things that are important to Him? What pleases Him? So are we clear, Jesus is God. It's important because now, let's turn to John fourteen to hear about what Jesus says. John 14, the heading in my Bible says, Jesus comforts his disciples. And I I thought that was kind of funny because they don't seem very comforted. He's talking to them. This is close to his death. And he's talking to them. And essentially, like, he's, he's given them bits and pieces and told them from time to time. But this is, like, where the things are getting real. And he's like, listen, I'm going to die now. I'm leaving you. 
And they had this idea that he, the Messiah was going to be one that was like this political and military ruler that would come and overtake Rome and, and free the people. And God was saying, that's a nice plan, but it's, little, it's too small. I don't want a kingdom just relegated to a small piece of land. I want the whole world. And so they're still not understanding. He says, don't believe, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's going to go and prepare a place. In verse 5, Thomas says, and I love Thomas. He gets a bad rap. But I love Thomas because he hasn't, like Nathaniel, he has an earnest heart. He just wants to know. He wants it to be real. He doesn't want fluff. He doesn't want anything fake. I just want, I want, I want to know. I want the truth. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So again, he's reiterating the same things that we've read. How can we know the Father? Well, we know the Father because we've seen the Son. In verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus, he's so patient. And, and I know I give the, the, the disciples a hard time. But 1 Corinthians 2 said it's, it's the Spirit of God who shows us the heart of God. So they're, they're doing this with all, without the Holy Spirit living in them, right? <laughs> so they don't have the insight. There's a, you read at the end of Luke where all of a sudden their eyes are open to the scriptures. That was after the Holy Spirit came and took residence in their heart. All of a sudden, everything made sense. Oh, so that's why Jesus is so patient. And he's patient most of the time. But in verse nine, it says, Jesus answered, do you not know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but rather it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So he's saying, even if you can't believe the words that I'm saying, if I can't convince you, at least look, we've been together for so long. Look back over all the things that we've done together. Who, called, who, who else can control the weather but God? Who can raise people from the dead but God? Who can heal incurable diseases but God? Who can speak with such an, an authority but God, he says, if you don't believe the words of faith, just think about all the things that we've been through together, all the things that you've seen, the evidence of the works that I've done. And he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. There's debate whether or not the greater things means greater in uh, like quality or, or if it just means greater in quantity. I'm not sure it matters as long as we just follow the Lord. If he tells you to raise um, two Lazarus from the dead, you should just do that. 
don't need to get caught up in the semantics of that. Verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So the beautiful thing about the Trinity is they always defer to to one another. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So he says, you love me, then just do the things that I've asked you to do. Live the way that I've lived. What did Jesus say? I only do what I see the Father doing. So what did that mean? Did we see Jesus sitting in one spot just waiting for God the Father to speak to him? Go pray for that person for healing. Go speak that thing out. No. He was in such close intimacy with Father, it said he would often withdraw to the lonely places for prayer. He was in such close intimacy with the Father. What did John 1 say? He's the closest relationship to the Father. He was in such close relationship with the Father, he knew what the Father would do in any moment. Think of it like this. We have snow around here, but you're growing up and you're a kid, and anytime it snows, you know what's going to happen. Your father is going to get up, And he's going to go outside and he's going to shovel the driveway and he's going to shovel the walk. And the next day it snows again. Your father gets up. You might even go out and help him. Shovel the driveway and shovel the walk. And let's say one day your father's not home and it snows. And you think to yourself, would you think to yourself, wow, I wonder if God, I wonder if, I wonder if my dad wants me to, to shovel the walk. No, you'd think, what would my dad do right now? He would shovel the driveway, shovel the walk. And this is what it is. He only did what he saw the father doing, meaning he was in close relationship. He didn't need a word from the Lord to see someone in pain and pray for them for healing. Listen, we use that as a cop-out sometimes. I didn't feel at peace in my heart to pray for that person who is suffering. Give me a break. Come on, that's the heart of the Lord. You don't need a word from from Jesus to pray for somebody. You don't need a word from Jesus to tell your neighbor about about him. We are about the Father's business, and we're going to talk more about that this afternoon. But he said, I'm going to send another. That word another in the Greek means another of the same kind. So he's saying, essentially, if you you like me, you're going to love the Holy Spirit (laughs) because we're the same. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you will know him because he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. She says, the world doesn't know him, but you know him because you're with him and, and they're with him right now. Jesus was the, had the fullness of the spirit, right? And then he said, he's talking about after the resurrection, he will be in you. So these are the three relations. This is the three um, types of relationships we have with the Holy Spirit. He's with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. When we gather, the Holy Spirit comes. His manifest presence comes among us as a people. He's with us. Those times where we're like, we can sense the Lord. I hear people say all the time, "Well, God is, you know, omnipresent, so He's here." Yeah, that's absolutely true. But there's those times where you really know He's here. <clears throat> those are the times we pray for that he's with us. It's undeniable that God is with us right now. 
But he's with us as a guide, as a counselor, as a healer. And then he's in you. And the Holy Spirit is in you for you. That's for your regeneration. That's for your own walk with the Lord. That's for spiritual renewal. Conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll look at it in a moment. Acts 1, it says, and the Holy Spirit is on you. And that's for power to be a witness. So he goes on explaining. Judas has some questions. Jesus says, I won't leave you as an orphan. Amen. I will come to you. And first, let's jump down to verse 25. He says, all this I have spoken while I was still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. I have said, the advocate, that word advocate means to take the place of. So later we read, Jesus said, it's better that I'm leaving because now the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to take my place. If Jesus were here just in bodily form, he'd be at one place at one time in one moment. But Holy Spirit transcends all of those things. And now Holy Spirit can move across the world all at one time. Amen? Amen. And he will teach you all things. Amen. He is a good teacher. And listen, if you look at Holy Spirit as a teacher, he will be the best teacher that you have ever had, the best counselor you will ever have. And he will remind you of everything. That's good news. Sometimes when you're reading stuff, you're like, I don't know how I'm going to remember all this. (laughs) I don't, that's so good. I want to remember that. Well, first start writing things down. Don't believe the lie that I'll remember. It's so good I'll remember it. I do it all the time. That's so good. That's so good I'm going to remember it, and then I forget. So write it down. Let's just start writing things down. You should have journals, or on my, my phone, I just have endless notes of things that the Lord's teaching me or that he's speaking me. Write it down. But then trust the Holy Spirit that he will remind you of things when you need it. There's certain times you'll be talking to somebody, and the Holy Spirit will quicken your spirit to a certain scripture and you're like, I didn't even know that I knew that. (laughs) That's pretty good. And that was, that's beyond me. That's beyond my wisdom. That's beyond my timing. That was the Holy Spirit. So that's good news. He will remind you. And he says, verse 27, peace I leave with you and peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Thank God. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus, the Prince of Peace will be the peace. And we'll, we'll read about that in a moment. So let's jump down, uh, turn the page, maybe turn the page, uh, to chapter 15, verse 26. Actually, I'm sorry, let's go to chapter 16. In verse 1, it says this, All this I have told you that you will not fall away, so they won't lose hope. They're going to put you out of synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of You asked, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. 
But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So this is the gospel. Jesus died. He lived a perfect life. He was innocent. And he also, Hebrews says that he became perfect through suffering, meaning he proved himself to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin by everything that he suffered, overcoming every temptation and sin that any one of us could have ever uh, experienced or faced. He died a terrible death on a cross. He was put into the tomb and he rose again on the third day. He rounded up all the old saints and he went to heaven and he presented his blood before the mercy seat as the perfect and ultimate sacrifice once and for all. No longer are the, do we need to sacrifice goats or sheep or livestock because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. And then he ascended to his place at the right hand of the Father where he is now. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. Amen? So John 20, let's turn. One of my favorite stories. You guys still with me? Is this good? Okay. John 20. The dream is dead. The disciples have locked themselves in the upper room. The Jews are going to come and kill them at any moment. They're confused. And uh, to be honest, if we were in their situation, we'd be right there with them. Verse 19, it says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them. And he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The other description says at first they were terrified when they saw him. Wouldn't that be terrifying? Jesus is dead, and all of a sudden he appears out of nowhere to you in the flesh. He's not a ghost. He's in the flesh. Some of those beautiful words in Scripture are, are Jesus entered, or Jesus came to a place. Because every time we see that happen, everything changes. Everything changes. He came and he stood among them. And he said exactly what he said back in John 14. Peace be with you. And why was there all of a sudden peace? Wasn't everything falling apart? Wasn't the dream dead? No, there's peace now because the Prince of Peace is there. And this is the difference between the world's peace and kingdom peace. The world's peace is like, I need peace and quiet. Like it, it means void of difficulty or chaos, serene. That's not peace in the kingdom. Peace in the kingdom is when the Prince of Peace is with us and the storm is raging and you're sleeping in the boat. Peace is when there's complete chaos. And as Isaiah says, that even though I walk through the fire, I won't be burned. Even though the waters may rise around me, I will not drown. That is the peace of God. Verse 21, it says, again, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So he re reiterates the plan, the mission. Nothing has changed, guys. Nothing has changed. Just as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. The plan is the same. And with that, he breathed on them 
and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is not uh, giving them priestly rights to forgive sin. Essentially, he's talking about assurance of salvation. You can assure people that if they've, you can assure people that they are, they are, their sins are forgiven just in the same way that Jesus did. Verse 22, though, it says that he breathed on them. This is the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 2 in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of Genesis. The word breathe in Genesis chapter 2 is the same, this is the same word used here when, God, when it says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils and he became a man. He, became, he came to life. So Jesus is coming. He's breathing life. And here we see them now become the first new covenant believers as the spirit of God comes and takes residence in their heart. Amen? So then Jesus walks with them for 40 days. Paul tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus. And uh, we see in the upper room that there was 120 there. So what happened to the other 380? That's not a really a good church planting model for Jesus. In our standards, Jesus would be a failure. <laughs> Jesus, you're, you, you shrunk by 380. It shows you that it doesn't matter the quantity. God is looking for the quality of the heart. That we could have a room full of 120 here this morning. That if we're on fire for the Lord, God could set this place on fire and we could change the world. We're still talking about this 120, 2,000 years later. So turn now with me to Acts chapter 1. The next 30 minutes, we're going to walk through the book of Acts verse by verse. Just kidding. Jesus, help me. So in Acts chapter 1, this is Jesus being taken up into heaven, and it's his last words. So as I left the house yesterday, I, I, I talked to my kids and gave them some final instructions before I left, right? Listen to mom. Speak kindly to each other. Brush your teeth, change your underwear. <laughs> Right. I can't tell them all the things I hope to tell them in those moments. In fact, you read in John, uh, I think it's 16, where Jesus is saying, he comes to this point, he's like, there's so much more in my heart I wish I could tell you, but there's no time. Let me just tell you what you need to know. And so these are the last words. And you think about the last words, it's like, this is what you absolutely need to know. And this is what Jesus says. In verse 4, it says, on, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father had promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So John 20, we read that they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took residence. And now he's saying, now wait, because not long from now, in fact, in 10 days, they didn't know that, but in 10 days, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you, going to, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? So they're still caught up on this original idea of what Messiah is. Now you're going to be the king, right? And then he's like, no, actually, I'm, I'm about to blow your minds, and I'm going to 
go up to, you're going to watch me go to heaven. Verse 7, he says to them, it is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Listen, in our day and age, there's a lot of people caught up in times and dates, speculating. I want to tell you, do not waste your life with conspiracy theories and speculations about all that stuff. Please, do not waste your life. The Holy Spirit is moving, and there are people that are going to miss it because they're believing some new revelation or some secret information that they've got. Please, I'm begging you. He's, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be a witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says the Holy Spirit will be with you, he will be in you, and now he's saying the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And why is he going to come on you? So he's in you for you, but now he's going to come on you for power to be a witness. Amen. So this, some of us live only in half the gospel. Half the gospel is like, my sins have been forgiven. I'm washed clean. Amen. My ticket to heaven is stamped. Great. Now let's go about getting all my dreams to come true. The American dream is not compatible with Christianity. But the second half of the gospel is the Lord has made you whole for something. And it's to use you to be a little Christ moving around this world to give the devil a bad day every day. Listen, you should be walking around this, this world and the devil sees you coming and he's like, nope, not today, come on. Just give me a break today. Just one day off, can you give me? Nope, nope, not one day, get out of here. We talk a lot about darkness, but listen, the light of, the li the light of life lives in you. So everywhere you go, it's not dark anymore. You could step into the darkest situation. It doesn't matter how dark it is. But now it's light because the light lives in you. So we don't need to be afraid. We don't go out picking fights, but we don't need to be afraid. And we don't need to give credence to the ways of the enemy. It's not a fair fight. They're not equal adversaries, the Lord and the devil. The, devil, the Lord could flick the devil at any point and it would all be over. And one day we'll re we read in Revelation that that's what's going to happen. This is the Holy Spirit's going to come on you so that you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, this is the plan. We're going to start here, just like he said, to the Jews first. And then we're going to go out from there. And after he said this, he was taken up from their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you look, stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you in he into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go. Wow. I'm sometimes envious of the, the disciples and what they got to see. And then other things that they went through, I'm not very envious. <laughs> I don't want to be thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil. <laughs> so now they're trying to figure out they need to replace one of the disciples. Matthias is chosen. But one thing you'll see now, which is different than before, is there is a unification of the people of Jesus. There's unity. There's, like uh, sister said last night, one accord. 
if you want to be unified before the Lord, focus on Jesus. We can't just be unity focused. We can't hold a unity rally and say, we got to just get really unified, guys. It doesn't work. What are we being unified under? If you want to be unified, then look to Jesus and we will, the natural byproduct is that we will all be joined together. So we see all of a sudden this infighting stops and there's unity among them and they're committing themselves to prayer and to worship, to gathering together, 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 together. They are together. You cannot, you cannot live this life on your own. We are, God has made us for one another. So listen, if you uh, have a hard time, if you're really sporadic in being a part of, of church, if you're not a member uh, of this body, man, commit yourself to a people. It is more than a name on a church, a pastor, or a denomination. You commit yourself to a people. And you say, no matter what happens in this life, it doesn't matter. You can count on me. And that's what family does. We are responsible to and for one another. Amen? Amen. Some agree. That's all right. (laughs) So 10 days later in Acts chapter 2, they're waiting and they don't know what they're waiting for. They said the baptism of the Holy Spirit's coming, but we don't know what the heck it is going to look like. But when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So remember, they're coming from an Old Testament context. In the Old, in the Old Testament, God was revealed in many ways, but it was fire, it was wind, it was a cloud. And so this is God's grace showing them, this is what you've been waiting for. Because we see that the sound like a, a, a violent wind and tongues of fire resting on each one of them. And we hear them start speaking out in a language they do not know. Whether or not, not it was actual languages or if it was a language in the spirit that the spirit was interpreting to people, again, that's something we don't know for sure. And really is irrelevant. Because it's the spirit who's doing it. The spirit's enabling. So then... Peter gets up and he's like, listen, everybody's thinking that we're drunk. He says, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. But he, and then he begins to explain. And so this is amazing. This is the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. Look at Peter before and after. Before he's denying Jesus to a 14-year-old girl. He's afraid. He's constantly backbiting and jockeying for position. He's in, 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 insecure. He's, I, I always laugh at Peter a lot of times because Jesus is like, these people say this. And Jesus is like, and Peter's like, well, but we're not doing that, right? I'm, I'm not doing that. Aren't I really great, Jesus? <laughs> we don't see that anymore. Now all of a sudden Peter has been transformed and he gets up and he reminds the people of what the prophet Joel spoke of in Joel 2. In verse 17, it says, in, these, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That word all means all types of people. Every walk of life. All people. That was a new concept to the Jews who thought all this was just for them. 
But he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The, the Holy Spirit comes and levels the playing field. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. This isn't for God's chosen, uh, the only chosen few. This is for anyone and everyone who wants. And Peter later in his sermon says that same thing. This is for anyone who wants it. And so that day, 3,000 people are added to the number. And so then we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 um, through 40, 48, or 47, excuse me, about what the, the early church begins to look like. And then a new normal is established. What does the life of a believer look like? So from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 3, two years passes. This is important to remember when you're reading your Bible. Sometimes we don't know how much time has passed. You can read the Old Testament and read one chapter, and then the next chapter it's been 100 years. And sometimes we accuse God of being like really rash. Think about it if there was a genocide going on for 100 years. 100 years. Right now, think if there was a genocide happening in our country for, from, since 1923. We would say, God, where are you? And yet when we read the scripture in the Old Testament, sometimes we're like, whoa, God, chill out. Like, what are you doing? Like, you just, you kind of freaked out. You kind of, uh, like, unhinged. Not knowing some of these things have been going on for decades, for centuries. Like, and so we say, God, we get mad when he, when he intervenes, and we get mad when he doesn't do anything. So from Acts 2 to Acts 3, one year has passed, we see Acts 2, 3, and 4, what the, the church, they start to experience some opposition. I want to stop just quick in Acts chapter 5 and read verse 12. This is after Ananias and Sapphira. Remember last night I said we pray for revival, but with revival comes judgment because the glory of God is a representation of the perfection of God. Greater purity, greater holiness. And so in verse 12, it says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. And no one else dared join them, even if they were highly regarded by the people. And then there was this fear that came upon people of like, okay, we need to take this seriously. Verse 14, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result... People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. How many? All. The Greek translation for all is all. They were all healed. And that, so that is the standard for the church. That's what we're praying in our church. We say, God, unless every person comes into this place, gets healed. We have a hospital just right down the block. We pray, God, empty that hospital. 
Send us the hungry ones, and we pray that we would be a hospital for the hurting, that people would walk in this place, and every single one would get healed. And until we're seeing that, we're missing something. It's not a lack on God's part, but we're missing something. Lord, we want more. And so we can't reduce, we can't lower the standard because of our experience. But instead, we hold true to what God says. So, the disciples start going on. There's even more persecution. Stephen is the first martyr. We see that in Acts um, chapter 7. This man Saul comes to the stage and he's persecuted. He's one of the chief persecutors of the church. But then, because of persecution, persecution many times is one of the best things that can happen in the church. Think about it like if you have a fire and you try to stomp out the fire, what happens? You just cause it to spread. And so that's often what happens with persecution. Brother Yoon, read his book, The Heavenly Man, speaks about the persecution in China and the underground church, the biggest church in the world. He says, don't pray for persecution to stop. He says, actually pray for us that we would have stronger backs to endure because the gospel is spreading so rapidly. So this is what is happening that now the gospel is beginning to spread. And Philip is in Samaria. And Samaritans were, were half Jewish. So they were not to be people that you had anything to do with if you were Jewish. But Philip goes to Samaria. And he starts sharing the gospel. And people are giving their lives to the Lord, following Jesus. We see Simon the sorcerer, this, this character who's doing uh, all these different signs and wonders and has a lot of influence. And he believes and is baptized in water. And so then they send the apostles. They send Peter and John with them. And in uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word, remember what Jesus said, Jerusalem and Samaria, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they pray. They prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So they're already believers. So what happens when you believe? The Holy Spirit lives, comes and takes residence in your heart, right? Instantly. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, meaning in water. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit had, uh, was given at the laying on the hands of the apostles, he offered them money and said, Give me the ability to do this so that everyone I may lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter said, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy a gift of God with money. He goes on to rebuke him. Something happened when they laid their hands on these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. Something magnificent happened, so much so that Simon the sorcerer said, I want to be able to do that. Can I give you money so you can teach me how to do that? But we don't hear anything about fire. and We don't hear anything about wind, do we? 
So what's inferred here is that there was some physical manifestation. And we don't, don't, it doesn't say for sure, but what we can infer because of the other scriptures that we're going to read, that there was a physical manifestation, most likely they began to speak in other languages. They began to pray in the Spirit as the Spirit enabled them. And so then Philip goes to Ethiopia. He speaks with the Ethiopian eunuch. And then in chapter 9, we have Saul on the road to Damascus, and he meets Jesus. Jesus shows up and is like, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, I'm not. He's like, yes, you are. I'm Jesus. He's like, oh, nuts. (laughs) I am. And he goes blind. And then the spirit begins to speak to this man, Ananias, and is like, hey, there's a guy named Saul. He's on Straight Street. I need you to go to him. And he's like, hold on, hold up. Is, you mean Saul, the guy who's killing everyone right now? He's like, yep. Listen, if your life with God is not an adventure, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so he's like, no, I want you to go there. He's like, oh, all right, I guess I'm going to get my affairs in order. <laughs> in verse 17 of Acts chapter 9, it says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. So he, he calls him Brother which there means that Paul had already believed. Paul already believed. Somewhere between Jesus appearing to him till when Ananias, he repents, he recognizes that he was wrong and he believes in Jesus. I mean, if Jesus appears to you in the road and then you go blind, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good one. That'll, that'll cause you to think about your life a little bit. And so he calls him Brother Saul, and he's inferring that, that he's already a believer. He's already believed. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see that he then got up and was baptized in water. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. In Titus chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. I'll turn there really quick. moderately quick Titus chapter 3 Paul says this in verse 4 he says but when the kindness and love of our God our Savior appeared I mean he's referring to Jesus coming to this earth but you can hear it almost like he's thinking about that moment when Jesus appeared to him and he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done but because of his mercy He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And having been justified with grace, that we may become heirs, having this hope of eternal life. So he talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out on him generously. We know from 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul speaks as it's described here in tongues or praise in the spirit, as he he calls it. He says, I pray in the spirit more than all of you. 1 Corinthians 14, as many of you know, is talking about the, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues that requires interpretation and the difference between our personal prayer language that comes upon us when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right, so Paul gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. He gets saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, Acts chapter 10. You guys still with me? We've got a few minutes left. You still with me? 
Yeah? Great. So now he's going to the Gentiles. He goes to a man named Cornelius' house, and he has this vision that our pastor growing up called his pigs in a blanket vision, where he sells all these unclean animals in a in this sheet, and he hears the words that says, take and eat. And he, in classic Peter fashion, says, no, I won't. I won't. I won't eat. I won't eat what's unclean. And the Lord says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. Speaking of the Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. And so he goes, and we won't get all into it, but there's a dream, and he, he goes to Cornelius' house, and he begins to speak. He shares the gospel, and he says that this is, Jesus is the one who all the prophets testify about him. Jesus is not just in the gospels or in Paul's writings. Jesus is in this whole book. From beginning to end, Jesus is in this book. And so if you allow the Lord to show you, he shows you, oh my goodness, Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is in the bush. In the burning bush, Jesus is in the cloud. Jesus is in the fire. Jesus is wrestling with Jacob. Jesus is everywhere. And every single prophet testifies about Jesus. Is what it says here. In verse 44, it says, Now Peter, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, meaning the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astonished at the gift of the Spirit that had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, meaning in water. And they asked that Peter would stay with them for a few days. So in this instance, they don't even lay hands on him. He's just speaking. He's kind of like, wait, guys, we haven't gotten to that part yet. (laughs) I'm supposed to, there's a method to all this. I'm supposed to do it a certain way. He's just speaking, and their hearts are so hungry, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just comes upon them. But what happens? There's no wind, there's no fire, but we hear them. It says they they begin speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter goes on to say, they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit just in the same way we have. Just in the same way we have. And yet he's not referring again to the fire. He's not referring to the wind. He's referring to this physical manifestation that happens when they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he goes back and reports this to the other leaders. Because again, they're worried, hey, this can't be for the Gentiles, even though Jesus told us exactly that. This can't be for the Gentiles. So Peter's telling him his whole dream, telling him what happens. In verse 15 of chapter 11, he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he came on us at the beginning. So again, the same way, the same thing we experienced, now they experienced. Then I remember what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us to who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who am I to think that I could stand in God's way? Amen. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even the Gentiles have granted repentance and at least to life. They're like, okay, I guess it's settled. He says, so if God gave them the same gift, 
That word same gift means identical. Isos in the Greek. It means identical gift. They didn't receive a lesser version of the Holy Spirit. We teach in our church that our kids don't get a junior Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit we have, they have. So again, we see there's some sign that they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So let's keep going. We start now, Acts 12, 13, 14, 15, Paul's adventures. Let's go all the way to Acts 19. So much we could talk about there. We do not have time. Acts 19, this is 20 days, or 20 years, excuse me, 20 years after Pentecost. So things have not lessened. They've actually gained momentum. Because in chapter 19, verse 1, we read about Apollos, he's over at Corinth, but Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. So he found people who were already believing in Jesus. So what happens when you believe in Jesus? The Spirit comes and lives in you, right? It's just automatic. You don't have to ask him. It just is what happens. You repent, you turn to the Lord, you say, I give you my life, Jesus. And the Spirit of God comes and takes residence in your heart. And there he found the disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we did not even hear that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, they, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was about 12 in all. So Paul's just trying to get a lay of the land here. He's like, okay, you're following Jesus. You call yourself disciples of Jesus. You put your trust in Jesus. And so Paul knows what happens when you give your life to the Lord. So now, but he's asking like, so, okay, did, did you receive the, he's trying to figure this out. Did you receive then the Holy Spirit? They're like, what? <laughs> we haven't heard about this. And then he's like, okay, so then, you were baptized in water. What was that? What was that about? Well, we were baptized in, in John's, which was a baptism of repentance, of preparation of what's to come. And so he's like, "All right, well, we're going to get this all sorted out now." <laughs> right? He baptizes them in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're baptized when we're baptized in water. We're baptized into a family. We're baptized into a name. That's why you can't baptize yourself. It's a community. It's a family affair. We are baptized in a name. And in our culture, it doesn't uh, the ramifications for being baptized aren't as great. You could go out on the main street and baptize people. People would be excited about it. But you go to other countries and they'll be killed for it. Because you're being baptized into a name, into a family. This life is not my own. And then he prays and the Holy Spirit came upon them. And what happened? No fire, no wind, but they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. About 12 of them in all. So one constant throughout the early church is that there's some sort of physical manifestation that occurs when people are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this gives those who are present an indication that it's been poured out. And the, the common pattern that we see is that it's accompanied by the, a prayer language. 
But listen, that's not the only thing that happens when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues is not the goal. If that's the goal, that's a pretty low goal. But that's one of the things that happens when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. What also happens is there's power and boldness to be a witness, which is the purpose. There's intimacy with God, greater intimacy with God, because now you're given a prayer language. That's the purpose of this gift of tongues is for a prayer language. You can speak mysteries, can pray mysteries, come into perfect alignment with the Spirit who is interceding for us. Romans 8 says that we don't know how to pray like we should. So the Holy Spirit helps us. You, did you know, whether you like it or not, we pray biased. <laughs> we don't mean to, but we just do. That's why in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, I pray with my understanding, meaning I pray in my known, my known tongue, and I also pray in the Spirit. Because the Spirit prays mysteries. When you pray in the Spirit, it is God, it is the Holy Spirit and you coming together in prayer and you praying the perfect will of God over situations. And the enemy hates it. He hates it. Think of it like this. Do you ever remember that old Adam West Batman show? The bam! You remember? Maybe some of you. You can, you can Google it. <laughs> you find it. In that show, Batman and the, I don't remember if it was commissioner or the mayor, had this red phone. And either one of them could pick up that red phone, and it was a direct line to the other. And they were the only two that had it. This is what it's like. When you get it, when the Lord, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, he gives you a prayer language. And that's like this direct line now between you and the Lord. And the devil hates it because he can't understand it. And you're breaking down strongholds. You're, you're, you're coming to a perfect agreement and alignment with the Lord over things that you might not even know are happening. I could tell you, I could, I'm, just let me tell you the story. I know we're going to be over time. That's all right. Is, are you guys okay? All right. All right. Let's, yeah, we're just going to keep going until four. <laughs> I used to work in a warehouse, and right after I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I, I worked with this kid who wished he was living in the 60s. He was like a, a hippie and, uh, or was trying really hard to be a hippie. But every day we'd get in the truck and he would spark up a bowl and he'd start smoking weed. And it was just like, and I'm trying to live for the Lord, you know? And I just got really annoyed and he'd turn up the, the, his music. And I really struggled. I'm like, Lord, I, I'm trying, I want to be an influence in this guy's life. But anything, any conversation, I would try to take it anywhere and went nowhere. And one day I was like, you know what? I'm just under my breath, not screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> under my breath, I'm just going to start praying in my prayer language. And so he had no idea any what was going on, but under my breath, I'm just kind of praying in my prayer language. All of a sudden, this kid, he reaches over, he turns off the, the stereo, and he looks at me and he says, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah, sure. He said, a few weeks ago, my dad left. He walked out on our family. And we have no idea what to do. What should I do? And I was like, oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> this really works. And so I began to share my life and the gospel with him that day. Man, there are things in the spiritual realm that are happening all around us that we are completely unaware of. And until we believe that the spiritual is more real than the physical, we will not take our, spirit, our, our, our prayer life seriously. Prayer is not passive. Prayer is action. 
Prayer is the place, the front lines of, uh, of our walks with the Lord. If you want things to change in your family, in your life, in your campus, on your workplace, go to the place of prayer. Meet God in the secret place. When God wakes you up in the middle of the night to pray for someone, how, you don't know what's going on in their life. You don't know what's happening. You can only say, God, heal them, protect them so many times before you just start praying in the spirit. Coming into agreement. The, Lord, the reason the Lord loves prayer is because it brings us into what he's doing. He's in some ways limited himself to our prayers because he so wants to include us. He does not need us. Listen, I, I do projects all the time with my kids at home. And I can do them way faster without my kids. But it is my privilege, it is my honor, it is my delight to do projects with my kids. It takes longer, it's a lot messier. <laughs> but to, to include them in the part of the process because it teaches them about who I am as their dad. And it teaches them how to, to do the things that we're doing. This is the beauty of the Lord. He's included us into his sovereign plan for humanity. He does not need you. He does not need me. He wants us, and he's chosen us and to include us. And so we have greater intimacy with the Lord in our prayer language, greater um, fervency and effectiveness, and we have greater re receptivity and faith. The Lord will disrupt your life. The Lord will disrupt your life. What if you're sitting in your cubicle at work and the Lord just drops in your heart a word of knowledge for the person next to you? Or starts to give you a faith for God to move in your family where it seems like everything's falling apart. Everyone's backbiting. And hey, what if God all of a sudden just gave you a faith? God, you can reach my, if you could reach me, you can reach my family. And so we have too many believers walking into battle completely ill-equipped. I've heard some say, you know, this prayer language or tongues is just for some. It's not for, for all. Well, I mean, James teaches that God shows no partiality. What kind of, wouldn't it be so mean and cruel almost for God to be like, hey, listen, you have this amazing gift. Of, it's going to help you in all areas of your life. But you, you just get to read the word and, and, and you have the spirit in you and that's great. But listen, just hope it works out for you. <laughs> No, no, no. This is available to everyone. The only people that I've seen in my life that don't receive are those who don't ask or those who stop asking. The only thing that we need to do the Bible instructs to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just to ask. It's not about striving. We don't have to twist his arm. Jesus, it's the promise of the Father, it says. So he wants to give it to you. He wants it for you. So all we have to do is receive and put ourselves in a posture to say, Lord, if this is what you want, this is what I want. Listen, this book is filled with crazy things <laughs> that I would never do in a million years. Listen, I love you people, but I would never give my son for you. So there are all sorts of things in this book as we read that are like, Lord, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't choose that. But as we remain submitted to the Lord, we say, God, if it's from you, I want it. If it's real, I want it. I was a girl recently, I was 
gave a response to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was telling the team early, earlier, and she was sitting in her, in her seat, and I could tell by her body language that she was not having a great time. And internally, I found out later that she was saying, this is, I don't, I don't know about all this. This is wild. This is wild. Why haven't I read this before? I can't tell you the amount of times I've heard that from people. Now that you say it, it's everywhere. <laughs> but why did I not see it so long ago? I don't know. But this young woman said, she prayed the prayer, Lord, if this is real, will you send someone over to pray for me? And as soon as she got done thinking the, that thought, praying that prayer, somebody got up and came over, sat next to her and said, can I pray for you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And she was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And she did, and the Lord just nailed her. I mean, he just touched her life. Never the same. Never the same. Ask yourself, do I really want the Lord? Do I really want him? We can compartmentalize him and say, God, I want some parts, but I don't want all of it. I want the good parts, but Jesus, I don't want the suffering. Don't make me go through the suffering. Don't make me go through the persecution. Jesus, I want the things that make sense to me and that, you know, feel right in my heart. But anything outside of that, I just, I don't know about that. No, Lord, we want all of you. Would you stand? Let's pray. Jesus, we want all of you. You sh- this is essentially what you're saying in John chapter 6. You say, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, <laughs> you are not mine. Unless we take him holy, we want all of you, Jesus. We want all of you, Jesus. We want all of you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that this word would go deep within our hearts. May we hope and long for more of you. May we never settle for less. May we never settle for less. But Lord, if it's from you, we want it. We want it, Jesus. We want to walk through this life with that first love fire burning bright in our hearts, affecting this world with your gospel so that we could hear those words we all long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. Enter in. We've been waiting for you. We've been preparing a place for you. Come. Lord, we thank you for saving us through your blood. And we don't need to add anything on to salvation. But what comes along with salvation also comes in equipping and in empowering to do what you've called us to do. So, Lord, we want to be a people who are empowered to fulfill the call that you've placed. And we're not going to expect somebody else to fulfill the call that you've placed on our life. Lord, we say yes to you. We take that responsibility seriously. Lord, bless our friends as we eat. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.